Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Tim Arroyo. For more great content, visit klcmain.com. God's here. He's in the room right now. And I, I love the moments in Scripture where Jesus announces himself. An example of one of those moments is uh, when Jesus in the triumphal entry comes in on a donkey. He did not just need a ride. He was fulfilling a prophetic uh, mo- a prophecy, a messianic prophecy from Zechariah that the coming Messiah will ride into Jerusalem on a, on, on a, on a colt, on a donkey, right? And he's announcing who he is to the world. I love when Jesus does that. And in Luke 4, there's a moment. This is after he just went through the, the temptation from Satan in the wilderness. And in Luke 4.14, 4, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went out through all the surrounding regions. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, we kind of forget about this little moment of Jesus' life where he's not really hated so much. Everyone is just loving Jesus. He's teaching and like he's being glorified. He's being worshipped by everybody. Not just good job, but he's being seen for who he is. And then all of a sudden he goes home. Goes to where he grew up. Goes to where people don't know him as, as uh, this, this new person, this new teacher, this Messiah. They know him as Joseph's boy. Goes to a place uh, you know, he was fully God, right, the whole time, but goes into the environment, the circumstances, the places, the people that were the frame for who Jesus became in the earth as a kid, right? We all have home, don't we? A place that we go back to, a place that for better or for worse is our backdrop. Ooh, I can feel a pin drop in here. We Okay. You did it to him, Troy. You did it to him. And in this moment of Jesus' life and ministry, he goes to the temple, he goes, he goes to the synagogue, and he opens up the scriptures, and he begins to read an old prophecy from Isaiah, and he is announcing this about himself. Go, Jesus. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel, or the good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Oh, that is just good news right there. And I'm actually going to be in Isaiah 61. You know, this, this sermon series has really been based on the revelation of Christ shown here. You saw in the first week that in Robert's story, Robert Barter's story, we declared God is here to set captives free. Boom, awesome. And in Rihanna's story, in week two, we declare that God is here to give beauty for ashes. Both are language that comes from the scripture. So week three, we're here to declare that God is here to see you planted Now, that might sound less cool, but don't worry, it's not. (laughs) Like, wow, that was real anticlimactic. I'm going to be planted. Cool. Just wait. This process of Isaiah 61 
is so beautiful. And it's the story that we have seen consistently through all three of these testimonies. Now, I love the way he starts. This is Jesus eventually speaking of himself, but he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Why? Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. You know, I I love getting into Hebrew language. I love getting into the meanings of words. And this word for good tidings, it literally means like, Good tidings, great news. The imagery is as if you've just had a child and you're so excited to share with your friends and family that your child is born, it's time to celebrate, right? He has got this great news, wonderful news. You ever just had something you're so excited to share? Like just great news, something amazing has happened. But here's what I love. It's not just great news for the sake of great news. It's great news to the poor. And now this word for poor, this is not great news for people in a lower tax bracket. This is great news for people who are experiencing, the the real word is affliction. They're being lowered and made lowly because of affliction and oppression. And so we see Jesus here announcing, he says, I'm here The Spirit of God is upon me, and I have wonderful news for anybody that's experiencing pain, affliction, trauma in their heart, and are becoming lowly because of it. That's him. That's Jesus. So what's the good news? What is this great news that you're so excited to tell us about, Jesus? It is verse 1. He says, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Let's just stop right there. I love this word for heal. Uh, Often it says to bind up the brokenhearted. The word is to bind, and it's literally this imagery of you have a wound that is open, and God is coming to close it so that it can heal. So the good news is that for every wound, For every pain, for every difficulty, God is coming to close the wound. And here's what's important about this. If we're not careful, I feel like I've been seeing this happening in a lot of like modern church language. You know, the Bible is so clear here. He's come to heal the broken heart. And oftentimes we'll actually stop at relate to a broken heart. Here's what I mean. Oftentimes, in our processes as believers, or even in the processes that we walk with with people, people are going through wounds, they're going through hurts, they're going through pains. And we feel like the best we can do is offer understanding. We feel like the best God does for us is offer empathy and understanding. Empathy is important. You can saw in Troy's story, compassion is huge. It's the entryway to another place, though. He said, heal the brokenhearted. That means the bleeding stops. I'm, I'm so tired of like seeing, whether it's areas in my own life or areas in the church or just areas where as a, a people where we minister to each other, we're content with just like understanding the wounds of the ones around us. 
understanding the wounds within myself, but there's a greater place of seeing the goodness of the Lord manifest on the inside of me where I'm not just known and understood, I become healed. We need a church full of scars, not wounds. Scars are the evidence of healing. We need a church that is full of the evidence of a healed heart. You see it in Troy's life. There's proof, tangible proof of the work of God. Isn't that good news, though? Isn't that the good news? If I'm, if I'm poor and I'm broken, isn't there good news that the wounds, the hurts, the fear and pain that perpetuates my brokenness has a healer? That's good news to me. I don't know if it's good news to you. That's good news to me. How many of you know that sometimes our worst behavior is not perpetuated simply by being bad people, by being hurt people. Our addictions aren't usually fueled just because, oh, I'm just, my heart is wicked, man. No, there's a gaping wound that's longing for healing, that's longing to be closed. Whether it's pornography, whether it's drugs, whether it's, it could be any number of things that we use that we're trying to actually medicate pain and we're using sin as a mechanism to medicate and hide from pain. And so the good news is that you don't have to hide and medicate from pain anymore. Right, Troy? You don't have to hide You don't have to medicate. You can actually run to a God who more than knows you, a God who heals you. I'm not moving on from this. We need faith for the healing work of Jesus Christ, not just to manifest in sickness and disease, but to manifest in the wounds of our lives that perpetuate brokenness. How many know it's actually God's joy to do this for us? That him being the Isaiah 61 messenger is not a chore for him. It's actually he's really excited to be this person for us. I'll move on. I just need to know you understand this. I need you to know that he is here to heal the brokenhearted. Whether it's you, whether it's someone in your family, He's here to heal the broken heart. And I could go on and on about proclaiming the acceptable year of the Lord, proclaiming jubilee, about the day of vengeance of our God, and that vengeance being justice, because the Son of Man came to what? To destroy the works of the enemy. God loves dismantling the lies of the enemy. It's his favorite thing. But there's a transition that happens in the scripture, and it's right in the middle of verse 3. We might not catch it, because in my opinion, they put the little chapter, the little verse thing in the wrong spot, to be honest with you. Right in the middle of verse 3, you see what God is going to do. He's going to console those who mourn in Zion. He's going to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. Stop it. 
the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I mean, that language is stunning. Stunning in what God is here to do for you. But then it shifts away from what God is going to do for you. Not because he stops doing it, but the story continues and starts to speak of what and who you'll become as a result of what he's doing. It says that they, speaking of you, say me, may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Notice that transition. Jesus says who he is, says what he's about to do, and says who you're going to become as a result of what he's done. Now there is this imagery of being a tree planted by the river, over and over in the Old Testament, you see in Psalms 2, for those who wait on the Lord, those who set their mind on his law, you see in Jeremiah 17, where it talks about putting your hope in the Lord. And there is one consistent, um, uh, one consistent thing that, that um, what's the word? I lost the word, Dustin. There's like a unifying factor about these trees. The thing that makes them what they are isn't just that they're planted by the river. You ready for this? It's that they bear fruit. In every season. The hallmark, that'll do. The hallmark of these trees, what makes them, who, what, the, the types of trees that God is producing, that the ministry reflected in Isaiah 61 is fruitfulness. You see it again in John 15, which is a beautiful New Testament image where before you were a standalone tree having access to a river. But in John 15, Jesus is the vine and we're the branch. We're the same organism together. And you see this idea of abiding in him producing what? You prove your disciples that you will bear much fruit. Interesting. So what does it mean to bear fruit? What does it mean to become a tree, an oak of righteousness? Come on, Oakland, land of oaks. An oak of righteousness planted by the river, bearing fruit in every season. Well, if we keep going in this scripture in Isaiah, he now transitions first who he is. Again, what he's going to do in you, and then who you're going to become. And then he rounds it out here by saying what you will do. Verse 4. And they, say me, or I, or whatever. <laughs> and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolation of many generations. I mean, if this isn't what we've seen in Troy's life, I don't know what is. That God rebuilt Troy, and now Troy is rebuilding in the mental health world. Big stuff, clipboard stuff. 
He is literally the full story that starts with the revelation of Jesus Christ as Lord. Revelation of his nature, the ministry of him bringing freedom, healing, and deliverance. Him becoming planted in that revelation and then him rebuilding his city. You know what God does at the end of his process with you? In the end, in the midst of pain, he gives you purpose. Troy said it so well in this video. He talked about that moment of counseling where his counselor said, it seems like you want to contribute and you want to matter. Whether you realize it or not, friends, I'm here to tell you, there is a dream inside every one of you that you would contribute to what God is doing in the earth. It might feel buried. It might not be a part of your everyday existence, but I'm telling you, Each one of you is handcrafted and designed to shape history in your sphere of influence. Did you know that? Did you know that on the other side of what God is doing in your own heart, in your own life, listen, he loves just to get in the mix with you. He loves to just like wrestle with you, like you wrestle with Jacob, just to, you know, try to apprehend him to go through this process with you. But his ambition is that you would rebuild a generation. Here's what's crazy. What does this say? It says, um, verse 4, it says, the desolations of many generations. That so stood out to me. Because how many of you know, often the pain in our own lives and the pain in the people around us didn't actually start with them. But they are a catching place for generations of pain that have landed on them. I know I could point to my own life and I could see my father in Vietnam, my grandfather in World War II, his father before him. And I see generational trauma that has tried to get access into my life. That what they've experienced, I believe in generational blessing. I believe sometimes there are generational hurdles that the ministry of Isaiah 61 actually is being able to look at generations worth of difficulty, of trauma, of wickedness and sin, of just Foolishness. And in one generation, it all is transformed. I honestly believe, I said this in the first service, I honestly believe there is an anointing on this house to rebuild family in the earth. Man, that that generations of compromise, generations of pain and hurt and abuse and addiction doesn't actually have to cycle through your life. And it's not going to be because you stood resolute enough to stare at the problem and say, I'll never do that, I'll never do that. It's because you've heard the good news and you've let it do its work. And you've been willing to say, I am one of the poor people that he's describing in here. And I need to be bound up. I need to be set free. I need to be delivered. Like we love the finished work and we know that God has accomplished all things in Christ. And it's about manifesting what he's accomplished in your everyday life. It's okay to be a little needy before Jesus. 
It's okay to be like, don't leave me like this, God. Don't leave me like this. That's one of my favorite prayers. I ever heard of Heidi Baker, who's a hero missionary. I've been in meetings where she's just prayed, God, don't leave us like this for hours. And then boom, that consistency. God, you have to do the work. I cannot produce Christ within myself. It's only by your spirit and partnership that I can see it manifest in me. Don't leave me like this, God. Whatever it takes. Friends, it, it can be a little costly to redefine what it means to be in your family line. But it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it not just for you to have the experience of being free. It's worth it that you have the experience of walking with God through your city and through your family in watching what he's done in you happen around you. Now that's real fun right there. He was going 120 miles per hour on his motorcycle, and that can't even compare to probably what it's like for him to sit in some of these sessions and see freedom that happened in him just like infect a region. Whew. Lord, give us more Troys. Give us more people that are walking in that Isaiah 61 good news. I love the nature of Christ to bring healing and deliverance specifically in places of significant pain and trauma. Did you notice in his story, a lot of, tell me if I'm wrong, Troy, a lot of what created hurt and pain and wounding in your life was the church. And where's the place where he found the commissioning word to go in and have the clipboard and do big things? It was serving in the church. <laughs> what was once a place of trauma being forced to rub your dad's feet became a moment that was a prophetic sign of what you carry for a whole generation to forgive, open up your heart and see deliverance happen in people. But the frame was the trauma. Can I tell a quick story and then we'll be done? I actually told a little bit of it wrong this morning. I felt bad. But, um, uh, uh a lot of you guys maybe know, maybe don't know. Um, a few months before my daughter Abigail was born, oh, I love Abby. She's so sweet. A few months before she was born, uh, my dad uh, really tragically, really suddenly passed away. He's just a shock. And, um, you know, it's not easy. Right? Look at your neighbor and say, that's not easy. Sorry, I'm trying to cut the tension. I'm trying to, it's my nature. I'm trying to, you know. And, um, you know, that was really difficult, and uh, there would be ebbs and flows. As anyone who's walked through mourning, you know that that's what it's like. And obviously, being a few months before my first child, you know, is born, was like, man, I was really looking forward to her being able to, them being together. It's really disappointing that that's never going to happen. And uh, I remember a, a few years would go by, and uh, every year, you know, around the time it happened, like it, it was in the summer, that would always be a hard time for me, you know, I just 
the smell of fresh cut grass, you know, like just all, all the stuff around that season would start to awaken that feeling, that pain, that difficulty. And I remember one night, it was a Saturday night, and Abby was, I think, a couple years old at this point, and uh, maybe even three or four. And uh, we were um, in prayer, but the night before, sorry, I'm getting a little bit jumbled now because I'm getting emotional. Um, <clears throat> I had a dream where in the dream, I saw my dad and I saw Abigail. Is this okay? We good? Okay. I saw my dad and I saw Abigail and I saw a, a pane of glass between them. And I knew in the dream that they would never meet. And my heart just broke. Oh, it's right. <laughs> just awful. <laughs> you know, it's just like, and you know, I'm not saying that was a God dream. That was just, that was what was inside of me, right? And so I'm waking up uh, Sunday morning, and I'm getting ready for church. Thank God I was not leading worship that morning. <laughs> um, but uh, I was just really carrying that in my heart, you know. I was just still feeling the pain of it. And we were uh, in pre-service prayer. And in pre-service prayer, the Lord started highlighting um, a lot of the, the guys and gals in worship. If you don't know, like I, I lead the, the worship stuff here. It's what I do. And um, so like Beth and Jonathan, Sarah, I don't think Ben was here yet. And a few others, Elijah was there. I remember that morning and the Lord told me to go lay hands on them like a spiritual father. And um, I'm like, God, I'm literally here mourning the loss of my own father. Like, I don't want to go father somebody else or act as a spiritual father in a moment. But we wrestled, and I did it. And I'll never forget, I was, I was right here, I was on my knees, and just like, God, why did you have me do that? And I saw in one hand the pain of losing my dad, which if you've been through mourning, there is so much healing for mourning, but there's always this little bit of like, ah, oh, man, I miss him, you know? And in the other hand, I, I felt the call to father a generation in worship. And the Lord said, like, you can't drop either one of those right now. Here's the problem. Oftentimes, the fact that we're experiencing loss in something, we'll run away from it. We'll disqualify ourselves because of it. But there's a chance that somewhere in the pain of your life, there's a calling. I was mourning the loss of my own father and God was saying, I know you don't have one anymore, but I'm asking you to be one for a generation. And boy, does God love a good underdog story. Let's find the fatherless kid and let's make him a father over creatives. He loves to showcase his brilliance. The amount of people even in our world that have suffered through addiction, that have suffered and lost in this way, and somewhere in the midst of that, they become arrows of deliverance to the places that they were once broken. And listen, every one of us has something that we were rescued from. Just because you may not have a story that looks like Troy, I promise you, if you ask God today, Jesus, when you saved me, when I encountered you, when I started following you, what was it that you rescued me from? And how are you sending me back into that oppression to bring deliverance for other people? 
That's his good news. His good news is that if you in the midst, just like Jesus was in the context of being rejected, right? He knew what he was getting into in Luke 4. The context, the backdrop is rejection from his family, from his friends. Even in the midst of that, if you will stand and, and, and acknowledge him as the Isaiah 61 minister of the gospel come to you and you will let verses 1 through 3 happen on the inside of you, you'll become planted and you'll rebuild a city. And you'll rebuild a generation. Some of us feel, how do I say this? I'll end here, Seth, you can come on up. I feel like some of us have, have been really, man, I didn't feel this in the first service. I feel this now. I feel like some of us have been feeling that desire and that pull to want to change the world. And we've been like, oh, like, man, I, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And we've actually experienced difficulty. Like, oh, I'm just not good at time management. Or, you know, I'm just, I'm this, I'm that. My personality is this. Oh, I'll do it, you know. And I feel like if we'll give God an ear in this holiday season to let him do Isaiah 61 in us, he's actually going to do things in your heart that are going to surprise you and is actually going to cause fruitfulness to be a natural byproduct of your life. Sometimes you got to fight for fruitfulness, like bearing fruit impact the work of the kingdom, but sometimes you don't. It just gets produced on the inside of you. And just like when you squeeze an apple, an apple, you get apple juice. When you get squeezed, fruitfulness comes out of you. Is that okay? All right, stand with me. Thank you.